You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Morning, everybody. Uh, so I have learned something about myself that I did not realize when I was younger. Uh, my wife has made it very well known to me. Um, she is wise. Uh, I have a tendency to talk a lot. Um, and I did not think about this um, when I was growing up. Um, my parents, um, one of them is right here, my lovely mother. They both are very good conversationalists, and so growing up with that, I never really was, never really had a lot of jumping into the conversation. Um, and so finding out later on in life that when I'm passionate about something, I could just kind of go on and on and on and on and on about it. Uh, don't get me talking about teaching. We'll be there for a while, unless you really want to. Um, but I noticed uh, with my notes, I generally, the amount of notes I have can kind of help me focus in, all right, this will be about this much time. Um, but that is not always the case. I thought it was safe today because I'm like, we're going to have a bunch of kids in here. We need it a little bit shorter. Um, so I only did, normally, just from context, normally notes are about three pages long. I think, okay, that's somewhere between a half hour and 45 minutes. If I do a page and a half, should be good. Uh, Thursday night rolled around 40 minutes. Um, so I'm going to work on it. I'm going to just let you know ahead of time. That's the, out there. Uh, first thing I want to do, though, is this is uh, not only is it our fifth Sunday and celebrating kids, but this is also we want to celebrate any graduates that are here with us today. Did anybody in here today graduate from college, high school, junior high? Nobody. All right. Oh, a couple may just don't. Mom, don't point me out. <laughs> These are big achievements. We want to celebrate them. We want to lift people up. And so. Wonderful job. Uh, if there was more of you but you didn't want to say anything, wonderful job to you as well. Uh, uh, we are going to be continuing in. We're in a kind of a little bit of a different series right now. Two weeks ago, Matt ended us um, amazingly out of First Samuel. It had been a year, and we put that book to a close, literally. Um, but now we're going to be talking a little bit for just a little bit of time about the Sermon on the Mount. And we started out the year this way, talking about foundational things in our lives that Jesus was talking about. And so he didn't cover a ton of stuff within that sermon, but each one has a lot of importance to us. And so last week I talked about um, Scripture leading us and not us trying to lead Scripture. So allowing things to go in the correct direction. So when we take our lives, we present it to Scripture and we say, what do you have to tell me, God, about my life? And then if Scripture gives us direction, we need to apply that to our lives and not try to move Scripture or take little portions so it fits the life we want to live. We have to allow our life to be shaped by Scripture, not the other way around. And so from there, actually, Jesus talked about several things out of the law, big foundational ideas for our lives. And after that, he has some summary statements. Um, and so I'm going to skip those big foundational ideas for right now. And the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three of those summaries of what Jesus is talking about here. And so today is going to focus on just one single verse. It's out of Matthew 7, verse 12. I know it says 12 to 23, but I was overly ambitious. I cut it back. Um, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is known as the golden rule. 
A lot of us have heard this before. We look at that and go, yeah, I get that. That's super simple. Um, but I want to try the tag at the end of this that Jesus said. This is the law and the prophets. So actually, in part, for honoring what the kids have done recently within their classes, I'm going to talk about that statement, the law and the prophets, and what that actually means in its bigness. Um, it's talking about all of Scripture there. And so when the scripture in the Old Testament is broken into three specific parts under um, normal Hebrew Jewish tradition, and that is the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. This is known as the Tanakh, and those are just abbreviations. The Ta being the Torah, the Na being the Nevi'im, and the K being the Ketuvim. Now, the Torah is the books of the law. It's the five books of Moses. The Nevi'im is the prophets. And so when I say the word prophet, every single person has this idea of what they think of as a prophet. And unfortunately for a lot of folks, that idea has been narrowed into one particular section. And that's the idea of fortune telling, being able to tell the future. That is not the primary role of the prophet. The primary role of the prophet is to communicate God's will to the people. And so when we look at, well, what are the books of the prophets? Those former prophets are actually Joshua, the book of Judges, Samuel, and Kings. I can almost guarantee when I said prophets, those were not the books anybody was thinking of. But if we think about Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, and we think about this idea, the purpose of the prophet is to communicate God's will to the people. Do those books not fit perfectly into that idea of these books that we normally think of as history, and we labeled them as history because it's talking about the historical context but it's through this that God is communicating his will. He wants us to learn from their lives and the leaders he raised up at that time communicating to the people, hey, this is what God says to do and this is what God says don't do and if you don't do this, all these bad things are gonna end up happening. That's all the part we focus on, the prophetic of the future, not the here nowness that the prophet primarily lived within. If we think about Samuel, we don't think about all the things that he foretold, we think about him leading the nation setting things in place, listening to God. So that's what the, those are the books of the prophets. And then the Ketuvim, it's called the writings. Sometimes it's actually called the Psalms, but it's not just the books of Psalms. It's everything else. Everything that isn't listed in those other two categories is just the other writings. It's how they categorized it. Because we have to realize when these things were being set in place, when they were being taught, they were not being taught out of a book. The greater majority of the time, it would have been out of memory that someone was reciting. It was an oral tradition. And if they were really fortunate, they would have had scrolls. And now we have to think every single one of those books would have been a separate scroll. So the law isn't just like this one collection. No, there would have been five there. And then another like 16 for the prophets and about 20 more for the writings. And they would have had all these scrolls and then it would have been expensive and they would have been delicate and very few people would have read from them. So you have to consider it's a different time and a different way of going about it. The whole reason for saying this and going through all that, when Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets, he's saying, it's all of that. That should be a bigness to it when we read it, realizing that statement, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, that's everything. We shouldn't just gloss over that and say, yeah, I got that. We should really dig into that and go, okay, if this affects everything, there's probably more to this than I'm realizing. And so when I actually dug through scripture, this isn't the only time this idea pops up. 
it actually resurfaces over and over and over again. I'm going to look at three of them today and the different aspects of that. And we're going to look at the significance of how Jesus worded this. And we're going to put it into some context, and then we're going to have a little bit of application. So first, those three perspectives. And the first one comes from Leviticus 19. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Lest you incur sin because of him, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I think about that. I circled three particular words out of this passage. It's the word hate, the word vengeance, and the word grudge. I thought about those words, and when we feel those feelings, or we have that going on in our life, those things don't just happen out of the blue. You don't wake up one day and go up to your friend and say, you know what, I think today we're going to hate each other, you know, just to mix things up a bit. We don't do that. Something happened. Something happened in your life. Something happened in your relationship. Something caused those feelings to arise. Something caused you to want to have that feeling of hate or wanting vengeance or bearing a grudge. It's something that's happened between you and someone else. And God is saying, you're not going to do these things. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the emphasis here is that part of this is a restorative relationship. When we look to God and how he treats all of us and how he encounters all of us, the way that relationship goes is he allows us to repent. He allows us to turn back to him each and every day through his gracious love of us. And we so much desire that and appreciate that and thank God for that, that he treats us that way. And he's saying, if that's the way you want to be treated, you must treat others as well this way. You have to be open to restoration. You have to be open to allowing somebody to see the error of their ways and come to you and want to restore that which was broken. If someone gets to the point where they realize, I messed up, and they come to you, and they want to make it right, God's saying you need to let them make it right. You need to allow them to repent. You need to allow this relationship to be restored. That doesn't mean everything's going to be the same as it was before. That doesn't mean the past didn't happen. But you have to be able to forgive. You have to be able to restore people. You have to allow them to be able, and yourself to let what happened go. Part of loving your neighbor as a strofe is a restorative process. The second look at this is out of Matthew 22. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so when I looked at this and I looked at what is the difference that God is trying to communicate here to us? What is that little piece? What is that shift in this perspective? And what it's by putting that first commandment before this, it implies that God needs to be first. God needs to be first in our relationships. God needs to be the one in how we determine how our relationships go, how we interact, how we should be treating one another. Those expectations, we need to make God first. We need to say, God, how should I be treating people? How should I be treating myself? 
What is it good for me to do? What is it good not for me to, be, to do? How should I go about this life? And how should I encourage others to do also? God needs to be foremost in our minds as we go through this life, when we go through our interactions, when we go through our relationships. To love your neighbor as yourself is to understand how God loves you and how you love God. That's got to be at the front. That's got to be first. That's got to be primary in our lives. So when we take this at the third perspective, out of Galatians chapter 5, it says, for you were called to freedom. Now, this one's actually a little bit different than the others. It's going to have a different tone to it. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I hope it's obvious, but I'm going to say it in case it's not. This isn't a literal thing of people were eating each other. It's this interactions of that we are abusing one another. We are taking advantage of one another. We are doing things at other people's expense for our gain. The challenge within that is society would tell you, you need to look out for number one. First and foremost, you look out for number one. That number one, in case you haven't heard this before, is you. You look out for number one, then you look out for your family, and if there's anything beyond that, then you can look out for others. That is not the biblical idea here. It's saying if you're always looking out for number one, and you're using that as an excuse to take advantage of others for your benefit, for your, even for your family's gain, we need to get ahead. I've got to do this for us, and so it's just business, that whole idea. It's just business. It's not personal. It's always personal. No matter when it is, it's personal. Why is it personal? Because you're dealing with people. In every interaction, you're dealing with people, and he, God is saying to us, if you go about fighting and devouring each other. You may think you're going to be getting gain. You may think you're moving ahead. You may think you're having something more for yourself, but you're going to be consumed. You're going to be eaten up. The humanity within you, the good part of you that God placed there is going to get eaten up. We are going to be allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world rather than being conformed to God. We have to make the harder choices. We have to move away from the selfish choices. And that's challenging because it requires sacrifice. It requires you to give something up. But this is a part of loving others as ourselves, of considering others as well. To realize that sacrifice in God's kingdom is actually gain that goes entirely against the worldly idea. It's like, if you sacrifice, you're giving something up. How is that gain? I want you to look around at this room. This is gain, a community of believers gathered together to support, encourage, and lift each other up is worth so much more than all the things in the world. To be able to turn to one another and rely on one another and know that during those difficult times in your life, there is someone there for you is gain. It's worth so much more in this life, and it only comes when we love and support one another, when we come and treat each other as we want to be treated. That is the point of that. You're going to have to give up time. You're going to have to give up energy and probably resources. And we do this for one another. 
not with that expectation, not with only that selfish interest in mind. It's like, well, when my time comes around, someone will be there for me too. No, we do this because we love one another and it builds this wonderful community where we're not even thinking about it that way. We just gather together and love and encourage and support. And how much better of a world is that when we do that? There's so much more to that line, love your neighbor as yourself, than just kind of the fleeting moment we give it when we read through it and go, yeah, I've got that. Treat people nicely. It's so much more than this. And I want to emphasize the way Jesus worded it. This is called the golden rule. Something I didn't realize when I was studying through this and going through this, there's actually something called the silver rule. Anyone ever heard of silver rule? I had not but I guarantee every single person in this room actually knows it. The silver rule is something you say constantly when you have children. Don't do things to other people that you don't want them to do to you. That's the silver rule compared to the golden rule. Now I'm going to voice them and you're going to, you're going to pick up on the subtle difference here. Golden rule, do unto others as you want done unto you. Silver rule, don't do unto others that you don't want them to do to you. It's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. I'm going to start with the don't. When you don't want others to do things you don't want them to do to you, that is born out of selfishness. That is born out of fear. That is born out of a desire simply to keep yourself protected from others in this world. I'm not going to steal because I don't want people to steal my stuff. I'm not going to hurt them because I don't want people to hurt me. I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to leave people out because I don't want to be left out. Who is that about? It's about me and just me. It has really nothing to do with them, the betterment of anyone else but ourselves. And we have to think about the language of it as well. Don't, 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 don't. It's condemning language. It brings people down. I did some, re some real brief research on positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement of things. Negative reinforcement is when you add a negative consequence to change something. Positive reinforcement is when you add something positive because you want that to continue. Now, negative reinforcement works, but positive reinforcement works better, longer, more effectively. But it's harder to do it's harder to be consistent with. Negative reinforcement is easy. And it actually doesn't require a whole lot. What the silver rule teaches you is restraint. Restraint is a good quality. You have to be able to restrain yourself from time to time. But that's what it teaches. It teaches you to not do things. But is that the best? Because that can actually be fulfilled in its entirety with apathy with laziness, with just not caring at all. I can make sure that I never do anything bad to anybody by never dealing with anybody. <laughs> is, that the, is that the best? What does that really develop within yourself and for others? Very little. As opposed to the golden rule that tells you you need to be doing things for others you're actually going to walk something out. You're going to consider someone before yourself. You're going to say, I would really like a glass of water right now. I wonder if they would too. 
and you offer that glass of water. It's such a little thing. You have to actually take some sacrificial action moving forward, and you're encouraging yourself, and you're building yourself up, and you're telling yourself to follow after the good things of God. And you're adding as opposed to taking away. Jesus is very careful with his, with his words. He's precise in his language, in what is best. Not what works, what's best for us. What's best for us is to love and encourage and build up one another, to be there for one another, to support one another. So that's what he says to do. You're going to have some walking in this trip. There's going to be things that we have to walk out, and this is one of them to love others as ourselves. So as we consider, as we go through life, we apply that. Now, some context of what Jesus was talking about within this, because he didn't, this isn't isolated. It's not just a single thing that he threw in there, and I bet this would be good at this moment, which it was for this reason. What is the context? He was just talking about all these things from the law. Specifically, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, six things. That last one is doubled. Six things that he talked about from the law. There are 613 laws from the books of the law. I scrolled through them recently. It's tiring just scrolling through them. But out of all the things he could have talked about, he chose six for this moment to tie into this particular sermon, this time, this place. What were those things? There's a couple other things that are added on, but I'm going to focus on those right now. Out of all the things that we needed to own to be summarized with love your neighbor as yourself, he says this. He talks about anger. He talks about lust. He talks about divorce. He talks about oaths. And that idea of oaths is actually talking about integrity, doing what you say you're going to do and not making it more than that. Retaliation and loving your enemy. I'm going to read them slowly one more time. I want you to think about the golden rule with these. Doing others as you want done unto you, when it comes to anger, when it comes to lust, when it comes to divorce, when it comes to oaths, that integrity, when it comes to retaliation, when it comes to loving your enemy. One more drop of context here. This was 2,000 years ago. Are those things all like solved now? Would they be solved if we applied the golden rule to that in our lives? That's the emphasis. Why did Christ say this then? Because if we actually applied it to these areas of our lives, they wouldn't be problems anymore. Why these particular things? Because they're perpetual problems. They're problems of humanity that we face over and over again, and we have to remind ourselves over and over and over again. They're not just going away. We clearly didn't figure it out, even with the knowledge right there. We have to consider it. After that, he talks about earthly versus a heavenly reward. He talks about giving to the needy, praying, fasting, and greed. Now, these are, greed is not kind of its own category for a moment. The other three isn't talking about doing those things. It's talking about how you do them. Because when he talks about giving, praying, and fasting, he's talking about people that are doing it for show. They're doing it just so others can see what I'm doing. 
Look at me give to the poor, I'm so generous. Look at how I pray, I'm so righteous. Look at when I fast, it's just so much upon me. That is an earthly reward because the what you're doing it is to put on a show for others that they think better of you. And is that how we want to interact with the world? Do we want everybody around us to be putting on a show? Do we want to be trying to determine all the time, is this really them? Or is this just the show they're putting on for me? Do unto others. Be who you are consistently at all times. Don't put on a show, just be you. When he talks about these things, he says, don't let your right hand know from what your left is doing. If you're going to give, just give. Why? To be generous for the sake of it. If you're going to pray, just pray to me. This is where we get the passage, Father, thou art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when he said this, he said, go into your closet and pray to your father in secret. That doesn't apply to every area of praying, but he's saying, if you've got something you need to speak to God about, it just needs to be between you and God. This, that shouldn't be a show. But that last area is greed. He talks about, this is where that passage, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and money. When your life is about what you gain, it comes at the expense of everything else. And he's been, he's so clear on this over and over and over again through his time with us here. And he says, your, where you want your reward is where you will get it. Do you want your reward to be here on earth? Because you will receive it here on earth. Or do you want your reward to be in heaven? Because you will receive it in heaven. We often think God is just making arbitrary choices, sending people here or there with willy-nilly, giving people he- things here and there willy-nilly. No, God is gracious enough to give us what we ask for. If we want the reward to be an earthly one, he will allow that to happen. It will not be for your best, nor the best of others. But if we want a heavenly reward, that will be for the highest of everybody. He's saying, seek after that. Last thing he talked about was some self-awareness. He talked about anxiousness. He talked about judgment, you judging other people. And he talked about dependence, dependence on him. Talking about being so consumed and worrying about what you have going on. About looking at other people and thinking, well, I don't have things going on great right now, but I'm doing better than that guy. I mean, look at that guy. Look how bad that guy's got it going. He's saying, don't do that. You don't want anybody doing that to you because there's someone doing better than you too. You want them at that time to think, wow, they're having some trouble. How can I help them? That's what we would love someone else to do for us. Do that for others. Don't spend time judging them. Ask them, hey, you're having a hard time. Can I help you out? Can I spur you on? Can I encourage you in this? And have dependence on God. Have dependence in Him. Stop trying to do it all yourself. You're not an island. You don't need to be an island. You're never told you have like, this is your island time and eventually you'll graduate from that. No. It's always us. It's always community. It's always togetherness. It's that shift. It's that shift from me, I, it's all about what I've got going on, to us, to God's church. 
to his bride. We are never described as anything but a unity. That's where our focus has to be. I want you to consider the example that Jesus set before us out of Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who taught, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's the example set before us. It's not about us. It's not about what we have going on or what we want. It's about being obedient unto God. He's saying, I was obedient even unto the point of death. For your sake, for my love of each and every one of you. And so when I think about this, I think the application of this, I don't think the problem is that we don't know what to do. I think when we, we take this and we put it at the forefront of our mind and it says love others, we know how to do that. I think the problem arises in our normal, everyday lives, in the rhythms, in the paces of the only person in your head, the majority of the time, is you. And you're thinking about what you have going on, what you need to do, what's next in your day. And it's not that we're trying to be inconsiderate, but we're just simply not considering. We haven't made that a habit in our lives to consider those around us as we consider ourselves. I think that's where the real big problem is, and that takes training, and it takes building up, and it takes shifting some patterns. Because on the one side, it, it just flows out of we normally are doing self-serving things. And I want to take the negative out of that word in this context. You are serving yourself if you need to get some food because you're hungry. That's a self-serving step. You're serving yourself. But in that moment, when you thought, I'm hungry, did it ever occur to you that any of the other people at the exact same time of the day, in the same context you are, might be hungry as well? hey, I'm getting some food. Would you like to come with me? Hey, I saw that you didn't bring in lunch any day. You want to split some with me? Hey, I'm really thirsty right now. I'm going to get some water. Do you want a cup? Little things. It doesn't have to be big things, but it's important when it is big things. When you see something going through a really difficult time, you think about, wow, that's got to be hard. They're having a really bad day. We can make two choices. We can either avoid it. They're having a really bad day. I'm just going to leave them alone because that looks hard right now. They probably just need some space. Or you can ask them, hey, you look like you're having a really hard time right now. Is there anything you need? Do you need someone to talk to? Do you need space? What can I help you with right now? That's the difference between silver and gold. Silver, avoiding can do the trick. Gold takes some effort, takes putting yourself out there and thinking about the other person. And the other thing we have to shift on 
is oftentimes we can get to a point of self-pity. And I think about this is something I dealt with actually a lot younger, and I know some people are still working through it now, um, and we all tend towards it from time to time. But this idea of, I would really like it if somebody called me. I would really like it if somebody reached out. Really like it if somebody invited me to lunch after church on Sunday. I would really like it if somebody threw me a birthday party. I would really like it if somebody, if somebody else did something for me. In those moments, in those times, we're reflecting, it would be really nice if somebody did this. That is your opportunity to do that. I'm going to strongly, strongly, strongly encourage the shift in thinking. Because it's not because people don't care about you. Those thoughts, if you look around the room, everybody has them. Everybody from time to time has those thoughts. I really wish somebody would do this. That would be really nice. And most people just don't. And it's, there's nothing awful in intention about it. But realizing that you might always be the person that calls. And that's okay. It's not because people don't like you, but it's because they need you to be the one who calls. That's something I had to discover, is that if you want people to reach out, they may never reach out to you. But if you want connection, reach out. Because people aren't going to say, no, don't, don't reach out to me. Don't say nice things to me. I really didn't appreciate that text when you said, have a great day. <laughs> it's not going to happen. We have to encourage one another in this. This used to be one of the things that kind of bugged me. My, my dad and my grandma used to say, I, I wish you'd call more. You have a phone. I'm, I'm here. I'm available. I, I would love to talk to you, but you've obviously thought about it more than I have. I'm here. Just consider it's not out of malicious intent, but we have to take those moments, those little triggers, those little Holy Spirit moments and go, hmm, maybe I should call. Maybe I should invite somebody out to lunch. Maybe I should do this. Why? Because the changes won't happen unless we start changing. The words, these, these words were re-said by Mahatma Gandhi at one point. He's not in the Bible, but he said some wise things. He said, be the change you wish to see in the world. If you want to see change, you have to be changed. That's exactly what God told us. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In him, do not be conformed to the world. We have to be transformed by Christ. Amen?